Well, hi there, microbiology people. This is Dr. B talking microbiology. And today's topic is prokaryotic diversity. And this corresponds to chapter four of the OpenStax um, textbook. Prokaryotic diversity, that basically means going mostly through different groups of bacteria. And of course, we are going to mention archaea, but we are going to kind of highlight some of those major groups, bacteria groups, you know, how they are classified, gram-negatives, gram-positives, and we'll be highlighting examples. Now, there are some challenges with this, and one is that you are just getting started in microbiology. You may know some um, names of microbes, microbial groups, but it is still a blur. You know, there are just too many names. And it, it tends to be towards the end of the, of the course when we are connecting, you know, very specific examples, for example, diseases of microbes that things kind of fall into place. Another um, challenge has to do more with microbiologists. You may recall from previous um, lectures that we, when you know, we talk about classification of microbes and how taxonomy was origin originally developed for things that you could see with the naked eye. So it, in the beginning, it was basically plants and animals, and then fungi were added, and with the advent of microscopes and observing microorganisms, then you know how do you classify? microbes and a lot of that was done based on you know like shape and gram staining and eventually learning about biochemical pathways and so on but what really brought a better focus to this was the advent of molecular biology and DNA sequencing that's how the tree domain system came out and that's how microbes were classified in let's say in a more um, appropriate way corresponding to how genetically similar they were. However, one, that genetic sequencing technology advances, so it has become much more um, detailed and, and deeper, you know, the level, the precision that you can, you know, figure out the sequence of microbes. So that's one of the issues. The other issue is that microbes change. We are going to learn about, you know, for example, how antibiotic resistance passes from one microbe to the other. So between those two things, um, on a regular basis, microbiologists will change how they group microbes. And one of the challenges, which is kind of at the front or forefront, because this is a medical, very important medical condition, is the C. diff. Um, infection. So it used to be Clostridium difficile, but now, you know, genetic data show that, oh, C. diff actually requires a separate group, which very, I mean, everybody's grateful that they chose the same first letters. It's called Clostridioides. So it's still C. diff abbreviation. But there was an uproar like a couple of years ago, I think around 2020, 2021, that a number of microbial group names have been changed. And some of those are groups that, 
you know, very familiar to people using them on the field. And when I say field, I mean, you know, clinical microbiologist or especially in the medical field or even doctors compared to, you know, the people doing, the scientists doing very basic research is DNA sequencing. So what I was trying to say is that I will go through the major groups regarding uh, prokaryotic diversity. I will point out if I know about something that is slightly changed. And I am aware that it may be, you know, just too many names. So what I will do is try to attach some kind of fact or interesting thing that I... I learn about them, or it's, you know, it's in, the, or maybe it's in the book. But um, you may want also to, when you're reading the news, if you see bacterial news that are always infectious or bacterial news, to to look out for the name of the bacterium and try to put it into this system of classification. Like, oh yeah, those were gram negatives we talked about in this group, and etc. And two examples that come to me now is that I read that there was a tough mother race up somewhere in San, around San Francisco, and well, you know, people are wading in mud and water, and it seems like there was a bunch of people who participated in that race and then came out of it with some skin rashes and infections and the bacterium responsible is Aeromonas. Now, do I know off my head where Aeromonas is? I don't know. So this is something that now I'm curious to look up, like which group exactly it is. It's not something I see every day. Okay, so let's get started. And um, again, this is diversity of prokaryotes, and prokaryotes are two of the three domains, bacteria and archaea. Bacteria are um, everywhere. And what I mean is, well, both bacteria and archaea, but can be found in virtually all environments. And as a group, they have an incredible metabolic flexibility. Something that um, is mentioned, but I don't know if you realized how interconnected bacterial communities are. And even us that, you know, work in the lab, we tend to assume that we grab any kind of sample, we put it in a plate with a right medium and it's going to grow. And that happens to many microbes, but not many, not all of them. There are bacteria that are called unculturable, meaning that you cannot make them grow in laboratory conditions, even if you try to find the best medium the most similar to whatever the natural environment is because they don't only depend on let's say nutrients in a plate they depend on other microbes providing them with some specific uh, chemical or micronutrient etc and without that community they cannot survive so we can later talk about, not today, but in some other class when we get to microbiology, about an, a way of figuring out which these microbes are that we cannot find, cannot culture in the, in the lab through an approach called metagenomics, which means that instead of isolating the bacteria first and then 
sequencing them and characterize them, you basically grab the DNA, the whole DNA, from a certain environment and sequence everything. With the advent of, um, you know, computational methods and algorithms and computer science and something called bioinformatics, you can actually figure out a sign sequences to known bacteria and the ones that are unknown, you can also figure out, um, okay, this sequence is a bacterium that resembles this other bacterium. So it's a a lot of cool things that are being done, uh, both in environmental samples and um, human samples. And, you know, the Human Microbiome Project attempts or has been working on looking at samples from the human body, different parts of the human body, both healthy and disease, and try to map if there are correlations with, you know, what kind of bacteria are in those environments. One very uh, promising one has to do with gut microbes. So it has been shown, and this is this was one of the first results that came out of such studies, is that there is a correlation between the kind of microbes that live in your gut and health of the individual. You know, it started with obesity, but, you know, diff- variations have been shown to be uh, related to, let's say, Crohn's disease or some chronic GI issues, but even diabetes is insulin resistance and so on. So that's a little bit where the whole idea of probiotics and prebiotics came out. Basically, okay, I know which the good microbes are and I want to encourage them to grow. Um, A lot of this has to do, of course, with diet, just in general diet, the type of food we eat, and also the the drugs we take, and particularly the use of antibiotics. So let's get started with uh, classification of prokaryotes, well, three domains, bacteria and archaea. And we are going to get started with bacteria. In, I believe, chapter one, we talked about Berge's manual, which, you know, it's kind of the sacred text of microbiology or bacteriology, specifically which... um, you know, groups, bacteria based on their morphology, physiological, biochemical characteristics, and of course, the, uh, the genetic information, such as sequence similarities and GC content. And if you wonder what GC content is, it's two of the four bases that uh, constitute DNA and two or half of the code of DNA, you have A, T, G, and C. So the GC content is um, kind of reflects how tightly the DNA strands are bound to each other. We are going to see how or why this happens. And uh, particularly in the case of gram positives, you are going to see differences between those that have more or less GC content. So we will get started with bacteria, and the main first step of classification is gram staining. So we are going to start with gram negatives. And among gram negatives, there is a huge group, huge, which is called proteobacteria. And these are all 
gram negatives and they depend on organic material for their survival. This is, uh, you know, the definition is chemoheterotrophs and we haven't gotten there yet explaining what does that mean, but just take my words that they use um, organic substances for both energy and carbon. So they are just like us because we also depend on chemical energy in order to, you know, to survive. So proteobacteria is a huge group and it has five major classes and they are named by Greek alphabet. So we have alpha, beta, gamma, delta, and epsilon proteobacteria. And we'll get started with alpha uh, proteobacteria, which, you know, it's an extremely diverse group of bacteria. And just to mention a few notable examples that, you know, cause diseases, we have Bartonella, the genus Bartonella, which includes Bartonella hanseli, which is uh, cats, causes cat scratch disease. Brucella causes, uh, causes brucellosis. And then there is a very interesting group of bacteria that are called Rickettsia, R-I-C-K-E-T-T-S-I-A. And the interesting thing about Rickettsia, something they share with another group of bacteria called chlamydia is that they are similar to um, viruses in the sense that they are obligate intracellular parasites. They, in order to, you know, survive, they actually need to go inside other cells, they infect other cells, and then live inside those other cells. But they are bacteria, they are not viruses. So just keep in mind, we are going to learn about some um, diseases called by rickettsia, they tend to be um, fever, they're called spotted fevers, for example, rickettsia rickettsi causes Rocky Mountain spotted fever. So we are going to talk about many of these internal uh, bacteria that look like viruses, but they are not like viruses later on. Alpha proteobacteria also contain environmentally important microbes, and this kind of tends to get less highlighted in introductory microbiology. We tend to focus more on diseases, but bacteria are extremely important for the recycling of components and for agriculture. And some of the bacteria in this group, like Nitrobacter, Nitrosomonas, Azospirillum rhizobium, they are needed for the recycling of or for cycling of nitrogen. So nitrogen, you know, there's a lot of nitrogen in the air, but it's a very inert um, gas. It's, it doesn't really react easily with other chemicals. So nitrogen is necessary for building of proteins and nucleic acid. I mean, probably you know that fertilizer usually include nitrogen because it promotes the growth of plants. These bacteria, many of them are able to actually capture the nitrogen, it's what they call nitrogen fixing, and they kind of live together with plants and they provide nitrogen to the plants and, and are very useful for agriculture. And this would be, again, kind of a more natural agricultural practice compared to just adding a bunch of fertilizer to the, uh, uh, to the crop. 
Beta proteobacteria include some really nasty ones, and we are going to talk a lot about a genus called Neisseria, N-E-I-S-S-E-R-I-A. These are gram-negative cocci. Now, we know that cocci are uh, round bacteria, and we have mentioned staphylococci, streptococci, and a lot of cocci tend to get tend to be gram-positive. The Syria are in the minority and they are gram-negative. And we have two very, um, you know, uh, infamous Neisseria, Neisseria meningitidis and Neisseria gonorrhea. So they cause bacteria, one kind of bacterial meningitis, actually the worst kind of bacterial meningitis, and the other causes gonorrhea. We also have Bordetella which uh, among them Bordetella pertussis causes whooping cough and uh, which is a terrible disease especially for little you know kids and babies it's uh, the if, if you can go to the internet and listen to the sound of a coughing baby with whooping cough you you, you understand what i mean and then there is a um, less known but worrisome group of bacteria among beta proteobacteria is called burkholderia and there are a kind of infections called nosocomial infections that are acquired in hospitals they tend to be you know the hospitals are important places of course of healing but they are also dangerous places in the sense that nasty very often antibiotic resistant infections can be caught easily or more easier in the hospital just because you know it's a perfect storm of having sick people and a lot of bacteria and procedures that tend to be very often invasive. So Burkholderia pseudomalae causes, causes a disease, an infection called meloidosis and um, the issue with this particular superbug, well it, the, this the specific bacteria is one of those very resistant superbugs. So um, they are not very common, but when they appear, they can be very problematic to treat. The biggest group among the um, uh, proteobacteria is gamma proteobacteria. It's very large, it's very diverse, and include many human pathogens. Let's start with the order. So when I say order or class or you know kingdom, genus, etc., they are all different taxonomic levels. So don't worry too much about those levels. It's a way of kind of grouping them and pay more attention to the specific examples. So the order Pseudomonadalis, which I believe actually they, that's one of those that change names and uh, microbiologists are very upset about it. It's uh, a group of bacteria that is very common in soils. And you have all kinds, you know, you have some of them that are opportunistic pathogens, others may produce antibiotics. Uh, some can be very beneficial for plants because antibiotics are not only for humans, there are antibiotics. I mean, plants get also bacterial infections and certain bacteria can actually protect plants from other bacterial infections producing these plant-specific antibiotics. Now, the most known in this group are um, Pseudomonas and Acinetobacter. 
So among Pseudomonas, we have Pseudomonas aeruginosa. Pseudomonas is a huge group. Pseudomonas are everywhere. It's actually one of the most common bacteria in the soil. And they grow everywhere. And when I say everywhere, they are able to metabolize everything. You are going to find a Pseudomonas that can live off you know, dry leather, for example. And very often when you see some kind of greenish growth in the corner of your moist um, shower, for example, that could be Pseudomonas aeruginosa. So Pseudomonas aeruginosa is a opportunistic pathogen. And what we mean by that is that it usually doesn't cause any issues as long as you are healthy and your skin is unbroken but it can cause very serious and hard to treat infections, for example, in patients with um, cystic fibrosis. Cystic fibrosis is a disorder, it's a genetic disorder, which uh, causes this very thick mucus in different locations, particularly in the lungs. And that mucus allows Pseudomonas aeruginosa to grow and if it happens, then it's very difficult to treat because it's very antibiotic resistant. Another condition where pseudomonas infections happen is in burn patient because when you're burned, your skin is broken and there is access for bacteria to enter. So again, pseudomonas aeruginosa has this very characteristic green, characteristic green color and it is not you know, pathogenic by itself, but if it given access, or if it has access to the body, then it can produce extremely difficult to treat infections. Another group here is Acinetobacter, and um, particularly Acinetobacter baumani. And this bacterium become, became kind of infamous during, you know, recent wars in the Middle East. There were many patients, particularly, you know, wounded soldiers that had to be, let's say, airlifted to uh, hospitals and they had very serious conditions. So they were intubated or, you know, put on respirators, etc. And then they got this Acinetobacter baumani infection. And there was a lot of controversy or, you know, studies about where this bacteria was coming from was this present let's say in the soil and why you know why exactly these soldiers have so many had so many of this particular infection the uh, the latest i heard of is that it was more of an issue of the transfers you know if if you know you get wounded in battlefield, you go to a field hospital, then you get transferred to another hospital, and maybe you need to, you know, be flown to another hospital. So all these transfers, the more um, interactions there are with both health personnel and just the procedures happening there, they just increase the risk of getting this infection. And it's kind of similar to... Um, what we are saying about pseudomonas it tend to, to be opportunistic and particularly affects patients who are in the ICU on respirators and so on. Another order that is huge is the order Enterobacterialis, and very often we refer them as enterics, enterobacteria, and um, 
that includes what we call coliforms. All right, we are going to see enteric bacteria in detail when we get to GI infections. I kind of the name says it, enterics, entero. Many of these bacteria are associated to um, GI infections, you know, E. coli, Salmonella, Shigella, Yersinia, um, I don't know, many. So these are all gram-negative. ROS and they are very often, again, because it's GI, it's also often associated to fecal contamination. So, you know, a beach was closed down because the number of coliforms exceeded safe level. That's what it's saying is that there is, you know, sewage poop in the water and that, uh, you know, exceeds the, uh, the safe amount of these bacteria, especially if you are in the water, you know, swimming or surfing or whatever. There are many ways of those bacteria to enter your body and cause diseases. Another, we are still in gamma proteobacteria, another important order is Vibrio nalis. And Vibrio, you may recall those were the curved rods. These are often aquatic bacteria. They tend to be waters, often coastal waters. And the most infamous of them is Vibrio cholera, which causes cholera. But um, two others are also in the news often, Vibrio parahemolyticus, Vibrio vulnificus. You may have you know, read in the news somebody, like the water was warm at the beach, somebody had a wound, a small wound, a scratch, a, uh, you know, a recent tattoo or piercing. They went to the beach and then came back with this terrible flesh-eating infection. And these are very often caused by Vibrio vulnificus. And we have other disease-causing ones, Haemophilus influenza is another. Pneumonia-causing bacterium, Francisella tularensis causes tularemia, rabbit fever, also been used as a bioterror agent, and Legionella. Um, okay, alpha, beta, gamma, next one is Delta. Delta proteobacteria have kind of less, let's say, famous or infamous known members of the bacterial kingdom. So we have some interesting bacteria here. The sulfur vibrionalis, they use sulfur instead of oxygen in cellular respiration to accept electrons. It will make sense more when we get to uh, the metabolism chapter. Budello vibrio is a predator bacterium. And if you, so it's, it's uh, spelled B-D-E-L-L-O, Vibrio. So if you look them up in YouTube, it's basically attacking other bacteria. It's kind of cool. And then we have the Myxococcales. These are, um, they, they almost look as, as little, not molds. And they, they, form, they, they have this gliding motility and then they aggregate and they form very interesting um, colonies and uh, structures. And last but not least, we are still in proteobacteria, is epsilon proteobacteria, and we have two very interesting examples here. One is Campylobacter, particularly Campylobacter jejuni. This is a, um, one of the bacteria that can cause gastroenteritis. Don't cut your chicken in the same, your raw chicken in the same uh, cutting board that you cut your salad. Um, 
many of these GI infection-causing bacteria come from poultry. And something special about Campylobacter is that it uses less oxygen than, let's say, normal, other normal bacteria, so it's kind of tricky to culture them in the lab. They require a special incubator. And another epsilon proteobacteria, a notable one, is the um, Helicobacter. Helicobacter pylori is, in fact, a normal, uh, so a, a normal member of the microbiota in the stomach, which is kind of crazy when you think about how acidic the stomach is. You know, the pH of your stomach because of the acid is kind of around one. And it will make more sense when we learn about what Helicobacter can do. Basically, it breaks down urea in the stomach to uh, form ammonia. And ammonia is alkaline, so it neutralizes the uh, hydrochloric acid in the stomach. It forms this cloud of ammonia around itself, and that way it protects from basically being digested with the acid. Unfortunately, Helicobacter pylori has been associated to the presence of peptic ulcers. Um, you know, it gets worse with coffee and stress, but it is the, the bacterium that causes damage in the lining of the stomach. And the stomach also has a lot of defenses against the acid. And if those defenses have been damaged, then the acid can cause even more uh, damage and peptic ulcers eventually can result in stomach cancer if it's not treated. So there are tests actually measuring the ammonia breath, you know, if the patient gets urea and then the, the amount of, of ammonia released is measured, then, you know, if you have too much, then it may signal the presence of Helicobacter pylori. So Proteobacteria against this huge group of gram-negatives. So the rest of gram-negatives are basically called gram-negative and non-proteobacteria. And this includes some interesting um, examples. For example, spirochetes. Those are, you may recall, the corkscrew-shaped ones. And these are also the ones that the flagellum was inside the cell, not outside. So the way they move, they have this... Uh, twisting movement. Um, examples, Lyme disease causing Borrelia burgdorferi, Leptospira causes leptospirosis, and Treponema pallidum specifically causes syphilis. We have also um, some of the responsible bacteria for dental infections. The Fusobacterium kind of looks really interesting. It's kind of a spiky shape. We have um, some more bacteria associated for the, with the in the mouth and the large intestines called bacteroiditis. They are part of these normal microbes in the gut that can be very useful, degrading you know, some complex carbohydrates that we cannot degrade. So again, remember that happy gut bacteria usually contribute to, to happy health. And in the environment, we have bacteria that don't require organic material because they can do photosynthesis. And those um, can be of many kinds. So photosynthesis can be based on green 
pigments such as the uh, you know like the ones we see in plants but they are also purple photosynthetic bacteria and um, it's really interesting that besides you know plants bacteria can also do photosynthesis and we are going to learn a little bit more about how they do it but they don't have chloroplasts remember that we talked about chloroplasts being actually ancient bacteria they will do uh, photosynthesis in structures associated to their plasma membrane moving on to gram positive bacteria they are also a large and diverse group and this is where the main classification is based on those gc guanine and cytosine which are two dna bases content respective content so we have the high gc and the low gc groups and the high gc group is what we call actinobacteria and um, low GC group are called firmicutes. Now, actinobacteria um, are very interesting. So, for example, among actinobacteria have actinomyces, and actinomyces look very much like fungi. You know, they are a bit filamentous. So they are very a very unique group of bacteria. But we also have very, let's say, common-looking um, bacteria. For example, we have Corynebacterium. One example would be Corynebacterium diphtheria, causing diphtheria. Um, Propionibacterium is a bacterium on your skin. It's actually an anaerobic bacterium that resides kind of in the bottom of your pores and it, can, it is related to the presence of acne. We also have Mycobacterium nocardia. You heard those names before because these are the acid fast bacteria, that ones that have mycolic acid in their cell wall, which makes them, you know, resistant and hard to treat, etc. And um, examples of mycobacterial diseases are tuberculosis and lepra, or we should call it Hansen's disease. Another extremely important group of actinobacteria are streptomyces. And you probably have heard about streptomycin, which is a one antibiotic of the many that are produced by this group of bacteria. So streptomyces are soil bacteria and they are you know, producers of a huge number of antibiotics. And if you like to, you know, buy your probiotic yogurt and you look at the names of the bacteria, you may see the name Bifidobacteria, which is also a uh, gut, normal gut microbe and can be used as a probiotic. Moving on to the low GC, gram-positive groups are the Firmicutes. And this is also a little bit of a confusing group in the sense that we will find examples of very different bacteria. So let's start with Clostridium. Clostridium are, and I want you to remember this because we will keep saying this over and over, they are gram-positive spore-forming rods and they are obligate anaerobes. And the reason why we want to remember is because there are four major infectious um, infections that are caused by Clostridia that includes tetanus caused by Clostridium tetani, botulism, Clostridium botulinum, 
gas gangrene, Clostridium perfringens, and C. diff colitis. So these are all belonging to this group. Then we have a other large group called Lactobacillales. And these are microbes that don't depend on air. They can be in the presence of air, but they don't care about air. They don't use oxygen in their metabolism. And uh, examples here, good and bad. So going back to the uh, probiotic yogurt or dairy products, another group that shows up often is lactobacillus. So lactobacillus is important for the um, production of lactic acid. So they are involved in fermented milk products, but they are also important in a healthy, to have a healthy gut and healthy vagina. So we will learn about the importance of lactobacilli when we get to defenses of the different body parts. Streptococci uh, are gram-positive uh, cocci in chains. We have many pathogens among them. You know, Streptococcus pyogenes causes strep throat, among many other things. Streptococcus pneumonia causes pneumonia, among many other things. So this would be a group that we'll be dedicating a lot of time to. Um, a close relative of streptococci are enterococci. They also can um, be present in the GI tract and the vagina and are common hospital contaminants, and some of them can cause very serious antibiotic-resistant infections. Last but not least, a uh, culprit that often shows up in the news about food poisoning, it's listeria. So the problem with listeria is that it can survive, it can grow actually at fridge temperatures. So, you know, it pops up if some fruit or cantaloupe or some kind of product that is contaminated with listeria and putting it in the fridge is not going to prevent it from growing. Then we have a huge, uh, so there is the order bacilli, okay? And the order bacilli contains the genus bacillus. And Bacillus is very similar to Clostridia in that they are gram-positive rods and they also form endospores, most of them, but they are aerobic. Um, I also have to say that this is one of the, uh, of the groups of bacteria that got cut into many new groups with this you know, latest reshuffling of bacterial uh, nomenclature. A, a lot of them still will have bacillus in their names. So there is penny bacillus or something, something bacillus. And, you know, it's kind of similar. You say gram positive rods, but they just used to be a very huge group. And this latest DNA sequencing showed that there are, you know, subgroups in them that deserve their own separate category. Examples of the genus Bacillus is bad one is Bacillus anthracis causing anthrax, Bacillus cereus, which causes food poisoning mostly related to rice um, meals, 
and it's kind of there's this little fun thing you can do because it's Bacillus cereus, C-E-R-E-U-S, but then you can abbreviate it as B dot serious, and then you can say, oh, you have to be serious about be serious, which is true. It can cause nasty infection, food poisoning, if it's, you know, rice dish left outside overnight in a warm temperature, and it can be unpleasant. And a good example is uh, Bacillus thuringiensis. And if you are into gardening, you may know this as the Bt toxin. So this is a bacillus that produces a toxin that is actually uh, damaging or you know kills certain insects. So it's often added to um, soil or fertilizer preparation in, or you know mixtures to um, you know prevent crops from being eaten by insects. Um, so in this order bacilli, we also have the genus Staphylococcus. This is another known one, and we are going to talk a lot about Staph, gram-positive cocci, and grape-like clusters, and the most known example, Staphylococcus aureus, which is very antibiotic-resistant and can cause many diseases, both on the skin and also systemic systemically meaning it can expand in the body and last but not least we have that weird little group of bacteria called mycoplasma those not to be confused with mycobacteria mycoplasma are this the bacteria that don't have a cell wall and you do have an example for that in health which is mycoplasma pneumonia causes a mild type of pneumonia, which is often called walking pneumonia. Now, most of the bacteria I have mentioned before are kind of, let's say, more traditional bacteria. They have been used and studied in the labs, and we know a lot of their behaviors. But there are a number of bacteria that are ancient. So these are bacteria that often reside in extreme environments, they are harder to study, they are harder to, um, to even culture. So they, are, they belong to a group called the deeply branching bacteria. And one really interesting character there is a bacterium called Deinococcus radiodurans. And you can find it if you Google Conan the bacterium, not the barbarian, the bacterium. So this is a caucus that has this huge, you know, set of defenses to survive anything. So it can, you know, it can survive Chernobyl, it can survive radioactive dosages that nothing else can survive. It can um, survive being dry, no food, etc. And how it does it, one of it is structure. It has a number of very resilient structure, but also it has the ability to quickly repair its DNA in case it's damaged. And poor archaea, you know, they have their own domain in the tree of life, but they don't get a lot of, you know, space in a normal, let's say, regular microbiology course. So you may recall that archaea are also prokaryotes, but if we look at the tree of life, they branched Later, so they're actually closer to eukaryotes than they are to bacteria, although they are both prokaryotes. 
We mentioned that archaea very often live in extreme environments. So we have the ones called hyperthermophiles, hyper, very much, thermo, heat, files, love. So these are bacteria that can survive, you know, hot springs or you know, thermal vents, etc. Then we have extreme halo files. Halo is, in this case, refers to salinity. So halobacterium, halococcus, you actually have to culture them in a medium with enough salt. They don't survive in the normal medium and think, you know, Dead Sea or other very salty environments. And an interesting group are the so-called methanogens. So as the name says, they produce methane. And these are strictly anaerobic bacteria. You can find them, you know, in landfills, but also in your gut, which is kind of interesting. And methane is not a nice gas to produce, so usually you can smell it. As far as we know, there are no known uh, human pathogens among archaea that may change, but they mostly have an industrial and environmental interest. And with this, we finish the uh, chapter dedicated to prokaryotic diversity. Thank you.